Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistanomy. My name is Uzair Yunus and joining me today is my dear friend and colleague Adnan Ansari. Adnan has been on the podcast before. He's Associate Vice President at the Asia Group, an organization I also work with. You saw Ashok Malik a few weeks ago join the conversation to talk about Modi's India visit. And in the weeks since we had that conversation, there has been a lot of movement on a digital data protection bill in India in terms of, uh, you know, protecting citizens' data. There's a whole background to it regarding privacy, big tech. There's a lot of moving pieces over there and some industry pushback as well. And now it seems that in the upcoming monsoon session of the Indian parliament, um, that legislation is going to at least move ahead and be debated in parliament as well. Um, Anand is somebody who uh, follows India's technology sector very closely. So I figured that we change things up a bit and talk about this very important piece of legislation on two major fronts. One, of course, India is one of the largest internet markets in the world. So a big piece of legislation like the one we're going to be talking about today will impact not only internet users in India and, and large businesses, but also startups. We'll talk to Adnan about this as well. And the second big reason, of course, is that when a big market like the European Union with GDPR or California with its laws or India with its laws moves forward, other countries also take note and take inspiration from uh, that piece of legislation. In fact, Adnan and I, in our work together over the years, have seen so many instances where European pieces of legislation or policy are copy pasted into initial drafts that then require feedback and tweaks. Um, so that's just how the policy framework globally works. So it's an important conversation. I hope you all enjoy it. So Adnan, first of all, welcome to Pakistanomy and glad to have you on again. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's begin, Adnan. Uh, help the audience understand, right? Like you and I, you more than I, follow this sort of like, you know, drafts, comments, different conversations in Delhi about what's going on. But give a 101 about where is this legislation coming from and what's the background that we all should be on the same page about in terms of the what is driving this agenda in the Lok Sabha moving forward? So, first of all, I mean, before I begin, when there's just a couple of things that I want to highlight. One, uh, really, this bill has undergone many, many changes and there's a lot, there's a lot uh, that uh, there's a lot that has been written about the bill by critics, by people who support it. So the the, the key thing to, to note is that in no way that this is a perfect law. In no way what I'm what I will say is gospel. I mean, this is just my personal view as I have followed this draft very closely right from the point uh, of when the first committee was uh, formed on to to draft this bill, the Justice Sri Krishna Committee, and in fact, even before that. Uh, so, so let me take a step back. Firstly, let me try and uh, let me try and put forth uh, a way. I mean, a notion which is talked about quite com I mean, quite a lot in India's technology policy domain. That if you look at technology policy legislation. I mean, and what technology means. I mean, there's a joke that goes around which says that technology for the US is about innovation, technology for Europe is about regulation, and technology for India is about development. So it's so it's it's a very profound statement. While I've heard it as a joke, if you actually look at and that sort of uh, it sort of translates into how policies are formulated because the US does not have a comprehensive privacy law. There isn't even a talk about it because the US, like through to its laissez-faire economy, it sort of looks at the private sector to sort of come up with uh, come up with almost principles to regulate themselves. And then it's sort of the, the overarching constitution and the overarching laws of the US taken to protect the users from harms, etc. Et Whereas the European and just Union, to just to see. interrupt before you go to Europe there, the US one also is different in the sense that section there's a section in the law that protects internet companies, which is being debated about on the Hill, but at the state level also, states have a lot of jurisdiction to do things their own way, and California tries to take the lead, but then other states, like we saw recently with Montana trying to ban TikTok, make stupid choices as well, but that state... Yeah state rights issue and states doing their own thing also plays a role in, in the U.S. debate as well. 
yeah yeah exactly i mean and and the whole and the whole uh, thing about the federal government really not intervening at uh, as much probably as in some of the other jurisdictions i mean that's very clear in the us whereas in europe we all of us are aware about gdpr and what it has done and that sort of it sort of goes back to how privacy is viewed and how government itself is viewed in the in europe versus, versus the us and when we come to india i mean the the most important thing to note is that india is a developing country india has a lot of startup and india has a lot of developmental goals that it wants to achieve and therefore this law coming back to our laws where it stands right now i personally believe the way it has evolved where a lot of people would tell you that it's a simple law is probably the right way to go forward because right we could not have actually afforded a very comprehensive a complex law to begin with i mean we'll have to learn how to walk before we can run so that's really just in terms of just laying the context for this law now where does it all come from so it all comes from it all started in 2017 when uh, the supreme court of india the supreme court of india in a judgment unanimously recognized the constitutionally protected right to privacy for indians under article 21 considering it intrinsic to life and liberty so that is where it came from and then the government formed a committee under the sbn shri krishna consisting of experts to address these data privacy concerns and this committee came up with a report in july of 2018 along with the first draft law in july 31st july 2018 if i'm if my memory serves me right around that time that we saw the first draft of the bill and since then it has undergone multiple drafts multiple changes it was introduced in the lok sabha it was then recommended to a joint parliamentary committee the joint parliamentary committee came up with a report then it was eventually withdrawn and then finally in november of 2022 we saw a revised draft a simpler draft a 24 25 page draft and now we are at a stage where a draft has been approved by the cabinet as a news report and it is likely to be presented uh, in the parliament it has been listed in the parliament in the lok sabha session for for monsoon so that's really that's really the evolution of and where the law stands right now and where law is right now thank you i'll stop here yeah thank yeah. you for okay. that overview because that's really helpful and as you were explaining this um given that we have some level of understanding of where this is coming from right the supreme court's judgment i think was very important i remember this when it came out back in the day that it was landmark right recognizing the right to privacy and it jolted a lot of policy makers it jolted a lot of technology companies in the sense that wow the supreme court is taking a position that is going to have repercussions and that's then led to this law years later and what i also you know in in that journey of this piece of legislation and the back and forth and the um sort of criticisms comments etc two things at least to me stood out and i would love uh, your quick thoughts on this as well one that it was a robust parliamentary process that was followed to begin drafting it and there was a lot of back and forth internally and then also with the technology sector and civil society in terms of what was going to be put into this law that's why it took so long number one um which was good in a way right when you're legislating something as complex as that as this you have to have a robust process that gives everybody a chance to sort of voice their views um and then secondly given as you said where india is it's in its technology journey this sort of also provides a, a sort of a direction a north star in terms of where legislation and policy will go now that we're you know 6 7 years later through this hurdle almost almost through this hurdle um would you then agree with my sentiment that you know the robustness of the process itself gives it a lot of legitimacy moving forward you know because we've seen for example in in a country like pakistan these pieces of legislation come out of the blue they railroaded through parliament and then amendments are made uh, you know i'm referring to in this pakistani instance the pakistani electronic crimes act pika as we call it over there um and it's been really draconian as a law but it also did not follow a robust process that gave everybody an input so i'm at least glad to see this 
piece of legislation go through the robust parliamentary process in India? No, certainly, certainly. And moreover, before I comment on that, I mean, we have to recognize regulating technology is tough. And I don't want to go, uh, I, I mean, maybe I will quote the old age, a day as it goes, that uh, regulation is always catching up with innovation. So, but the, the problem is innovation moves so fast, so and so fast forward that technology, that regu I mean, technology innovation moves so fast that regulation is always playing catch up. And the main problem over here is, I mean, I, I want to actually take an example of something that I heard. We were doing some work in crypto and there was a person that uh, we, that I personally interacted with. And this person said that the only way that you can stop me from trading in crypto is you come to my house and take my router internet connection away. There is no way that you can regulate me. There is no way that you can stop me. It, it, it's, a, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit sort of egoistic, but uh, the, that, that, is where, that is where things stand right now when you talk about regulating technology or regulating innovation for that matter. Now, coming to the point of the parliamentary process, yes, the parliamentary process has been followed and there has been a lot of back and forth. And frankly, if you ask me, in the past four or five years, the number of drafts that we have seen, the number of papers, the number of reports that we have seen, the government has tried to follow a comprehensive process. However, whether or not I mean, what this legislation will need to, it will all depend on its implementation and what really lies forth in terms of the timelines that are given to the sector, etc. So, and plus there are certain clauses which a lot of stakeholders, especially folks from the civil society, have raised concerns about. Those are legitimate concerns. I will not deny that. But again, in terms of how this regulation has evolved and what draft that currently stands, I do think that this was possibly the best possible outcome that we could have had given everything that is going on with uh, with India's technology sector and, and the process uh, that the government tried to follow. And India is a multi-party uh, democracy. And while the, while the current government has a full majority, I mean, it does uh, sort of lean, it, it has a full majority in the Lok Sabha, it does sort of lean uh, on regional parties to get bills cleared in the Rajya Sabha, which is the upper house of the party. So yes, I mean, I personally think that the government has tried to follow a, a, a comprehensive process. There have been hiccups in between, but I do think where we stand right now, we are still standing in a, in a good place right now in terms of the entire process and the outcome of the draft as Okay, so thank you for that, Adnan. Now let's go into the legislation, right? Like we have an audience, so let's start with the um, user side before we go into the company's technology sector, et cetera, side. What are some things that you think the average Indian citizen who's on the internet should know, should care about this legislation? How does this, what are some key clauses that you think people should be aware of uh, in, in terms of this legislation? So first things first, I mean, first of all, as a user, I do think that uh, the, the way that users interact with technology, with technology companies, with intermediaries, with social media, with e-commerce will change significantly once this law kicks in. So it will be a cultural shift as much as a regulatory shift, so, so to say. Uh, because, and that primarily comes from that the outset, the bill says that data fiduciaries, and I'll come to the data fiduciaries later because that's how uh, that's how responsibilities on companies have been defined, may process any personal data of an individual for lawful purposes with the consent of such an individual. So consent is the cornerstone. So you will see a lot of consent notices and the manner, uh, and, 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 and that is, I think that's the first change that you will see. The bill does talk about deemed consent, in certain specific situations where uh, where the where you uh, the user which is defined as the data principal is expected to provide uh, his or her personal data voluntary to the data fiduciary uh, 
uh, that is necessarily and, and and sort of it lays down to judicial powers, employment purposes, public interest, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so so yeah, I mean so but but coming back to the point, I think for the user, consent becomes extremely important. You the the bill does try to give you the control of the data that you have uh, of of your own data. Secondly, what the bill sort of does uh, does sort of, uh, it it does is it sort of places a lot of emphasis on uh, the companies which are defined as data fiduciaries so data fiduciaries it's a fiduciary i mean if you this term data fiduciary has always intrigued me i mean fiduciary responsibility is usually seen when we are doing banking when we are doing financial transactions so the government of india has used this term data fiduciary which is which you will not see used anywhere else so there is there, there are a lot of obligations that are placed on the data fiduciaries. On top of that, the government has defined significant data fiduciaries with a threshold who will have even more obligations in terms of the processing of data, the way and and all the and all the obligations that they will and, have. And find. in layman terms, a data fiduciary is basically an organization or an entity that collects user data and stores yeah. it, correct? That's just yeah. basically yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 for example, your Facebooks, your Twitters, your Amazons of the world, they will all be defined as data fiduciary. And uh, I know you will ask me the ask us the ask me this later. But the term significant data fiduciary has been defined purposely so that some people could some companies could even be excluded from some of the additional obligations. And this goes back to my earlier point that. The government recognizes that uh, where we are in our technological journey, where our startups lie. So it is important to create that distinction. And that's a very, uh, that, that that's a change that we have seen in later versions of the law, not in the initial version when it first came out, a more comprehensive law. Then really in terms of, I mean, there are, there are clauses related to penalties. There are, there are, there are obligations defined with breaches. I mean, companies could be fined up to 500 crores in terms of that's the upper limit when a data breach happens. Uh, they have to notify, uh, they have to notify the data, uh, the data principles. Uh, they have to also notify the data protect. I mean, there's a data protection board that has been formed, which has been given uh, powers to sort of legislate uh, uh, the, the provisions of this bill. I'm not going to do the technicalities. There are provisions also defined how that data protection board will function. This is a watered down version of the data protection authority that we saw in the earlier drafts, uh, in the earlier drafts of the bill. And 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 that that is that is the that is the that is the overall structure in which in which this whole, uh, this bill sort of tries to uh, tries to tries to legislate the data of Indians, uh, the data of Indians, and it does it does uh, it does have extraterritorial uh, obligations as well in certain conditions, but by and large for companies operating in India, this is what they'll have to follow. I think one of the significant changes that we have seen, and some of you must have heard about this, there were provisions related to data localization in the earlier draft. Those have been watered down significantly. From what it seems, they'll be the government will allow for cross-border transfer of data, uh, with the exception of some of the blacklisted countries which may be notified. So it's taking that blacklisting approach uh, and that's that is something that you will see in the draft, which will potentially be introduced in the parliament in the upcoming in the upcoming session. So that is really just at a very high level in terms of in terms of what uh, what this bill tries to do. Uh, there is, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, there 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 are really other due. There are duties of data principle also defined. Um, uh, there are some wide ranging exceptions that have been provided to the government, which I was talking about in terms of the concerns that have been raised by the civil society. I mean, the government is sort of taking a blanket. Uh, I mean, uh, the government could provide a blanket exemption to its uh, its its affiliates, the parts of the government, as well as it could define some of the data fiduciaries on which the provisions of the law may not apply. So again, these exemptions are uh, it will evolve. The other the other feature of the bill is, and this is also something that 
that has been criticized by some folks that it leaves a lot to the delegated legislation. And what that means is uh, that, that the government will come out with certain rules to regulate some of the aspects of the bill. But again, as I coming back to my original point, that for a bill like this, as technology is evolving, we could not have had a very rigid framework in place. And this gives the flexibility. But yes, flexibility comes with discretionary power and discretionary power could be used in either ways as the government desires so so yeah i mean there are some concerns but let's not but let's not uh, let's not doubt the intent over here uh, let's see how it evolves and see what the government eventually does with those delegated legislations so yeah and i think that that last point is super important to just uh, refocus on a bit as well for you know the general audience, right? I think this is a trade-off you have to make in policy, particularly policy related to technology and the internet, which is that how narrow can we have a piece uh, or define things in a piece of legislation? And the more narrow you go in that piece of legislation, of course, the more uh, specific it gets and the more you would say, okay, discretion to the regulator or the authority, name it authority X, has over defining rules and norms. But the more narrow you go, the less that discretion becomes, which then means that if innovation catches up. So for example, in the last year or so, everything has been about AI. And if this piece of legislation was passed a year ago and was super narrow and did not give that discretion and AI sort of changed our own understanding of the technology and data protection risks around AI, um, then that means that you have to go through an entirely new parliamentary process to then legislate the amendments that are needed to then provide that authority. Whereas if you keep a broader spectrum, you give more discretion, but then you also have to have more space related to dealing with innovation um, in the sense that the authority can pass or push through new rules and, and norms that perhaps don't require legislative intervention because the piece of legislation provides you that umbrella framework, right? And I think you would agree that in, in, in mainstream conversation that nuance gets missed because this is about trade-offs. And again, as you said, we will see how this is implemented. But my read of this whole story has been that in a technology sector, more discretion in a way is actually good because the pace of innovation is so fast that you otherwise would spend another six years before you figure out a way to legislate AI, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely, I agree. And in fact, even, uh, the, I mean, I think the number of times that the bill says as may be prescribed is around 18 or 19 times it says as may be prescribed. But if you actually read that, and I remember reading this, that it's only in three or four places that it is uh, it talks about significant uh, rules, uh, rulemaking paths others are related to notice technical conditions uh, registration of consent managers etc cetera, etc cetera. so so frankly and this does not even stop uh, the government or even uh, or even the opposition to demand whenever significant changes are to be made they should be made through a legislative route rather than a delegated legislation route so so that is where i i do think that that's an important element to sort of uh, look at this bill and again i'm coming back to the point i mean the, we have seen what GDPR what GDPR did to technology companies in in Europe. India actually cannot afford that kind of a disruption. So a, a very ironclad comprehensive law, it would have been good on a lot of fronts. But frankly, the where we stand right now in our developmental journey, I, I do think that would have probably done more harm than good. That doesn't mean that it should not evolve. That doesn't mean that uh, as sort of as we come to understand the pitfalls of this legislation, the civil society or the opposition or technical experts uh, stop giving inputs to the government and demanding uh, changes in the law that will have to uh, follow a democratic, democratic process. And, and hopefully we'll be able to follow that democratic process to eventually arrive at a more perfect law. This is not a perfect law, but this is a good law. Yeah. So let's go into now the technology company side, right? Of course, a lot of concern over the years in terms of what this would include. Most of that concern, in my view, coming from the fact that the compliance burden would just change the economics of how they operate in the market and the liability exposure, et cetera, et cetera. 
let there of course now technology companies not all are the same you hinted to that earlier as well big tech is different than small tech you don't want to in a piece of legislation like this um you want big tech to have certain uh, sort of uh, accountability mechanisms that they should abide by because of their scale and size and they shouldn't be able to in my view at least complain about compliance burdens because they make a ton of money whereas for startups that are you know coming out of iits etc trying to do things in interesting stuff and causing disruption in the marketplace you also don't want onerous legislation and compliance burden because you want them to invest in growth not on compliance all the time until they reach a certain threshold so what's the impact of this legislation let's start with big tech uh, what what do you see changing for them and how they operate in india both domestic big tech and also international big tech so i think one of the first things that will change is that they will be more answerable and accountable to the indian government and the indian public in terms of their data handling practices i think that is the first change and that that's a mindset that they will have to uh, inculcate that's a mindset that they will have to work with because india for the longest time and it continues to be one of the largest markets for them but i do think that they will have to start thinking about india not just as a market that they want to thrive in but as a country with its own interests its citizens with its own interests so i think that's the first thing and and i'm i know i'm talking uh, i'm making a more political point but that what this would mean is this would mean they will have to appoint a data protection officer they will have to take uh, audits they will have to do compliance as the law as the indian law prescribes and all the rule making uh, powers that have been provided to the data protection authority data protection board they will have to comply with all that plus the only point adnan you didn't make in that opening was data is the new oil and then it would be the full on <laughs> point of view of the of the other side of the conversation is the indian data is for indians and therefore should be monetized in india i mean see i i would not say data is the new oil because frankly oil is a natural resource it's limited in nature i've i've always hated that analogy i've always seen data i think data is data but i think the closest that anything that could come is data is like a form of capital it's a form of uh, factors of production that, uh, that 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 in the technology world that is how i think we should think about it it sort of leads to creation of infrastructure it leads to creation of employment and a lot of other things so that is how we should think about it and and frankly if we think about data in that paradigm then we'll have to also think of Uh, treating data like that in terms of how its flows should be managed its flows really protecting the sovereign's interest i think the sovereign will come over everything else and we have seen some of these challenges appearing in russia in some of the other african countries where technology companies foreign technology companies have pulled out uh, we probably in india will never reach that stage but that's a valid concern that and the government stakeholders some of them have had and the experience i mean it's a, it's also important to point to point out the experience of the government in dealing with technology companies i think for the longest time when uh, notices were sent to technology some of the technology companies i mean uh, this is something that uh, stakeholders say that these are not my words but uh, companies would often say that our data resides in xyz country so that's why we can't really we can't really give you that data in 24 hours or 72 hours and sometimes these were critical decisions these were critical situations in which the government really required that data so and which is why if you, if you look at i mean i know i'm jumping the gun here but if really in terms of the data transfers how the government sort of talks about it it talks about trusted geographies i mean that's the that's not the legal language that's being used but uh, but that is how it will operate that certain trusted geographies and i would assume that these trusted geographies as in when they would be defined or when certain blacklists will be created the government would take into account that what is the process in terms of accessing data when we require to do so so i think that's the that's the that's the second change that they will have to do the third is really in terms of uh, as i talked about the consent the breaches the reporting mechanisms and that this is common for domestic and foreign big tech 
I I think uh, I think that's 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 a common feature that everybody will have to uh, will have to will have to adhere to. I think when it comes to startups, uh, there there is I would say there is some sort of room for cautious optimism because the startups are optimistic because compliance could create barriers to entry and high compliance costs could create those barriers to entry and the government has at least tried that seemingly those do not come out in the draft that was uh, that that we last saw and hopefully that that's the draft that we'll see coming to the parliament because uh, because uh, there are there are provisions as i said about significant data fiduciary in terms of uh, in terms of in terms of the additional obligations that will be uh, put upon them some of these startups may find themselves not uh, defined as a significant data fiduciary i i do think one of the challenges that they might face and uh, in terms of all the changes uh, that uh, companies advocated for one of the one of the changes that we have not seen in the last draft at least was the age that was the definition of children and how children's data should be uh, should be uh, should be regulated the children i mean the age of children is continues to be 18 in the last draft as defined in the law uh, there are there are some there is some media reportage that the latest draft uh, which is presented to the parliament there could be some changes to that definition there could be some sort of exceptions provided on a case by case basis and that could be defined in the law but that is again and that's a significant uh, that's a significant sort of clause because uh, india is also a very young nation there are a lot of children who sort of are on the internet but the government has decided not to follow uh some of the norms that are there in other countries where age where age of children is defined 16 or even lower for that matter so that's really that's really that's really the change that you would see in terms of how this bill sort of uh, will uh, will get implemented the other the other thing which i am hopeful is that it would prescribe a timeline when that law kicks in so that uh, i mean the gdpr also had a timeline uh, which sort of gave the companies a buffer which gave the organizations a buffer uh, to be compliant to the provisions i i'm hoping that the that when the law is presented in the parliament it would prescribe that timeline so that we have we have some time in terms of getting used to and companies have some time getting used to the the new law as such so yeah and i would even add it's the timeline the the runway given by that timeline is also important for the government itself right because it needs to set up its own institutional architecture under this legislation to have oversight right if yeah. If you don't have that mechanism, let's say you started, the law is passed tomorrow when we're speaking and it's implemented tomorrow, neither side has the capability to be in compliance with that law or enforce compliance of that law um, at this point in time. And companies and the state is working, but I think that timeline is going to be there for sure. Um, would you also then agree that for technology companies overall operating in India, this legislation also, much like what happened in Europe, um, require a mind shift, right? In the sense that they're not used to having to deal with grievances or having to report on breaches a certain way. And of course, the reporting on breaches has its own economic impact on shareholder value and things like that in terms of, you know, the news cycle and everything related to that. So, you know, would, would it be fair to say that more so than anything else on the compliance side, the biggest hurdle here or the biggest challenge here for companies is going to be, particularly big companies, a mindset shift of now having to comply, which is, you know, we saw this in the banking sector in the United States in 2008 after the crisis, the shift in operating with a heavier mandate of compliance makes you do things a lot differently in terms of your growth strategy. And, and that's difficult to do so I, I would love your thoughts on like that that mindset shift that needs to happen as well sure is that so frankly if you i agree that that mind shift is extremely important and that will start to happen and that's a significant change that you will see but i also think that mind shift has already started in india because the regulations if you look at technology regulations in india have been in a flux have been in a flux for almost uh, four or five years, I mean, for the internet sector, whether it's related to e-commerce, whether it's related to social media, you have seen companies and the government face-to-face -face on a number of issues uh, where 
the, where some of the companies have even uh, gone to court against the government uh, on some of the provisions of the law itself. And there are at least a couple of cases that are going on where the technology companies have questioned the legitimacy of the law itself. And then there have been challenges with respect to compliance. There have been challenges with respect to uh, with respect to criticism of the business practices of companies by small traders. Then this I'm talking about e-commerce companies. So so this shift is truly and well underway. I do think that the companies recognize this and and frankly uh, us all of us working in the policy space we have seen that how even the policy teams of these companies have swelled up in the last four or five years where there would be four or five people but now they have 20 25 people just full-time employees i'm not even talking about external consultants so i do think that this mind shift where these companies have started to recognize that india as a market will do this it is in the interest of its own uh, constituents, its citizens, as well as I mean, India sort of recognizes it's a it's a, India. India is more confident that these companies uh, need Indian market as such because a lot of the innovation is also happening from India. I mean, there's a there's a very there's a there's a there's a term that I heard some time back that when you use technology. You're not just a consumer, but you're also almost a producer of the technology because you are sort of giving uh, the companies the data on which innovation happens, on which AI models are changed, on which machine le uh, machine learning algorithms are implemented. So, Even just a millisecond, you you stop exactly. scrolling on your Instagram reels gives enough data back to the Instagram team to know how to tweak its algorithm and what to show you, what not to show you. Exactly, exactly. And India, I mean, China is almost closed closed off for most of these. It's companies. the largest market, it's, yeah. It's the largest market. I mean, the amount of data that Indians are giving uh, is is huge, and this is where innovation will happen. And uh, this is this is why this is why the country is extremely important. So that's the that's where the mind shift is. That, that's where the mind shift is necessary and truly underway. Going forward, what you'll see is, I mean, I do think that any law, any legislation. There will be challenges. There will be friction uh, to begin with, uh, and you would. And we have seen that, frankly, in uh, how India's competition law regime is evolving. While we haven't seen a, a revised competition law, but in terms of the interpretation of the law as it is changing, you are seeing fines imposed upon companies. So you would see, even when the data protection regime comes into force. There would be challenges for companies. There would be some back and forth. But I think that's just the natural rite of passage that all of us will have to go through and companies will have to go through. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just broadly like consistent with the what happens when a sector matures, right? Like we've seen this in auto manufacturing, financial services, insurance, wealth management, etc. Like over time, yes, when you're small, people let you get away with a lot of stuff, but then you hit a certain scale and big tech certainly has hit that scale a few years ago, but it's been such a complex uh, sector to deal with that the legislation is only now coming to bear in markets like India. So um, it's a sign of the maturity as well. The old cowboy days uh, are, are mainly over. Um, last question on this conversation, Adnan, from you. You mentioned a few times there's a lot else in flux, a lot of other things in the pipeline. Um, what are things you're keeping an eye on in, let's say, the next six to 12 months? Of course, India enters an electoral cycle seven, eight months later in 2024, essentially, is an election year. So there is a limited time frame of a lot of legislation, regulation going through before the government fully looks at the electoral map. And of course, as you and I know, that timeline also fast tracks certain things as well, because you need to do certain things before you go into election. So what are you keeping an eye out on on the policy side that that intersects with the technology sector writ large in India? Sure. So so I, I would uh, I would cover two main technology shifts and one of the and what technology shifts that are happening in India in terms of policy and also in terms of just the sector itself. And both of them are very important. I think in terms of policy, there are broadly four pillars uh, of technology, uh, technology regulation that you will see. One is the digital personal data protection bill, which we have spoken about. The other, the government of India is coming up with a Digital India Act 
and this is a revision of the IT Act of 2000. You did talk about uh, the uh, you did talk about in the US Section 226, if I recall correctly. I think uh, Section 230. And let Section me, um, 230. Yeah. yeah. The one that gives uh, liability coverage to big tech. Yeah. Yeah. Section 230, which gives the liability coverage to big tech. So the government, I mean, we had we have we had a similar provision in India's IT Act, but that provision also may see uh, a change in the Digital India Act. I think that's the that's the that's the other technological shift that is that's the other regulatory shift that you will see the Digital India Act, and it will define a lot of other things. It will define AI. It will have regulations related to Web three. Um, it will it will it will sort of just just change the broad contours in which technology companies operate in India. Uh, that's the second that's the second pillar the third is the government of india is right now revising the telecom law i mean india's telecom law i mean it sort of goes back to pre-colonial times so there is a digital there is a telecommunications bill that is in the works so that's the third change that you will see and again there's a lot of intersection which you will see with uh, there's a lot of intersection that you will see be between these laws uh, uh, so some of these just for the audience uh, on yeah. the telecom side if i may i just quickly looked it up it's the indian wireless telegraph act of 1933 like almost 100 years old so yes definitely yeah. need of an update there yeah, yeah, and I think I think the first time it came out, it it was an eighteen eighty five law which has undergone yep. a few revisions. Since eighteen eighty five, yep. Eighteen eighty five. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, about time that we sort of see a revision of that law. So again, there 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 are going to be additional obligations on digital communication services and OTT platforms that you would see as a part of the telecom bill. Then the fourth pillar in terms of the regulation is the digital communicate digital competition bill which is again as i as i spoke about i mean the tele, the competition law in india the interpretation is sort of changing i mean there you are seeing fines on certain companies and stuff but now uh, there would be changes to the to the act itself the the government the ministry of corporate affairs is working on a digital communications bill again there are certain intersections with dia and the, the last week last week there was a media report where <clears throat> the Minister for Corporate Affairs and the Minister for Electronics, they met and they tried to sort of iron out some of these uh, differences and some of these overlaps. So these are the four main laws that are currently being worked upon. There's a fifth, which is not a law, which is the National Cybersecurity Strategy, which the government of India has been working on for quite some time. And uh, the importance of it is, again, sort of amplified because of a lot of cyber seemingly and allegedly the cyber the alleged cyber security breaches that have happened uh, on uh, some of the critical infrastructure as, and some of the other technology platforms and stuff so these are the five main uh, pro these are the five main changes that you are sort of seeing the other sort of shift that we haven't spoken about but i'm pretty sure your audience is very much aware of it is uh, india's digital public infrastructure push so uh, you, I know you are a big sort of fan of UPI, but apart from UPI, there is a lot, there are a lot of digital public infrastructure, digital public goods that that are being developed. Uh, these are related to e-commerce. Uh, these are related to education platforms, uh, etc. So, so again, there's there's a lot that is happening. I do think some of it will also define uh, the uh, define some of these provisions, uh, some of these acts that we spoke about. As we have seen, there's a concept of consent managers in the digital personal data protection bill, and that sort of gives legitimacy to the whole digital, uh, the the whole the whole account aggregators uh, and the other sort of. Uh, the other sort of DPIs that are coming up, which will handle uh, personal data of Indians. So, so yeah, I mean, these are the two main things that are happening, which we should be aware of. There is a bunch of other things related to e-commerce laws and e-commerce e policy, etc. But I do think for the purpose of this audience, we can just limit it to these yeah. two. No, a lot, as, as you indicated, and thank you for that overview, a lot going on. And I think for the general audience, right, I think... Um, to me, even the, the the conversation, the interesting part here is that the policy making community, both within the government and outside the government, has its hands full, and it's grappling with a lot of things that are now being impacted by uh, a growing technology sector that has reached a certain level of maturity. So now you need to legislate and regulate it in a different way. 
Um, and a lot of these laws are ancient, as we talked about the Wireless Act uh, since 1885. Um, so they need updating. And I think the second one, which you kind of alluded to also, uh, is that, you know, we often think of government as being this monolith that moves in a certain direction, in a certain tempo, um, and there's unanimity of views in it. And that's clearly not true. You talked about the Corporate Affairs Ministry and the Ministry of IT hashing things out internally about overlaps, who gets to own what, etc. And I think it's important for people to also understand that that's just how governments operate. It's not just things don't come out of the blue most of the time. They take a lot of time and years uh, as this uh, digital protection bill has taken. A lot of internal dynamics come into play. And then, of course, you intersect on the outside with civil society, with business leaders, with investors, etc., so, you know, every once in a while, it's important to have more of a detailed conversation on a piece of legislation that to many may seem it came out of nowhere. But to folks like you, you spent a lot of years following this. And, and, and thank you for educating the audience about that. Since you mentioned the DPI side, um, I'll just throw that one at you as well. Like, um, how do you see the evolution of digital public infrastructure in India? I know UPI, I'm a big fan of. I think it's transformative and it's amazing in terms of the market failure it's solved for, right? In terms of enabling digital payments for everybody in the country, uh, built on Aadhaar verification and zero balance bank accounts, et cetera. But now there's talk of like account aggregators, credit profiles, um, health, mobility, and commerce. ONDC, we've talked, uh, you know, we've seen uh, grow as a big push ahead of elections. Um, overall, what's your take on, you know, what people should be paying attention to on the DPI agenda push? And, and how do you see it potentially transforming the country three to five years down the road? So, Uzair, UPI is talked about quite a lot and and absolutely agree that UPI is probably the biggest success story of India's DPI story, which has now gone public. I mean, the Prime Minister was in France the other day and he said that how Indians will be able to use UPI to make payments in uh, and around Eiffel Tower. And, and yeah, I mean... But and right I, before we started our recording, there was an MOU with the Emiratis on, on, on something similar as well. There you go. There you go. So, so yeah, I mean, UPI is truly going global and it's it's a matter of pride for all Indians. But at the same time, UPI is not the only success story from India's DPI. I mean, most of the Indians now use DigiLocker or e-signatures. I mean, again, these are, these are coming from the same vault of India stack and DPIs and even the most, uh, the most used probably the DPI was the Coven platform, which uh, which enabled uh, generation of certificates and registration for vaccines during the uh, during the during the whole vaccination program uh, for COVID, and India in fact made Coven open source, and a lot of countries adopted it. So before UPI went global, Coven has already gone global, uh, one of India's DPIs. So that's really the so that's really I mean some of this technology shift again is underway where some of us living in India did not even realize when that happened, but it has made our lives much easier. I mean, I had to pay for five uh, repair guys today. Uh, I'm I'm just in the process of moving my house and everybody, I just had to transfer even 50 rupees or 70 rupees, just just in like in a matter of seconds. I mean, I can't even think of this happening. You're, you're not going around your home asking, Bhai sab chutta milega ke nahi. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I mean, this is, this is a huge shift. And even... Even carrying around documents, I mean, we, I mean, it was a very pretty common thing for people to lose their wallet, and with that, all their, uh, all their driving license, Aadhaar, etc., everything would go away. But now, I mean, DigiLocker has DigiLocker is again a change uh, that that all of us use it almost day on a day-to-day -day basis. In terms of its evolution, where it goes, see, I mean, like any technology, I mean, even if the government is backing it every technology will sort of go its own natural cycle. There will be certain things that will be more successful. There'll be certain things that probably might shut down. Uh, there'll be certain things just like any startup and when all startups do not succeed. So right now, e-commerce ONDC is one of the big things coming out of the government. There are two use cases which have found traction. One is on mobility, one is on food delivery. Uh, 
but I do think that there is much more scope in terms of evolution of ONDC. It probably may not replace all of the e-commerce companies that a lot of people would like to talk as political rhetoric. I do think that there is India has enough people. India is a large enough market for the domestic innovation as well as foreign international companies to coexist. But that's another thing that is happening. Then uh, the government is account aggregator is one thing that we spoke about. You will see as this data protection bill sort of goes uh, forward, uh, you will see more account aggregators coming up, more companies sort of uh, signing up for account aggregators. And then there is open credit enablement enablement network because that is where the magic would happen i mean you have the you have the upi which is the which is the railroad that the government has built for money to move on but now money doesn't really have to move one way i mean open credit enablement network will allow credit to become easier for individuals for msmes and with your account aggregator they with with your i mean the Almost all these three things will have will 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 talk to each other. The account aggregator, you would be able to give access to your data to somebody for that data processing to happen. So again, these I I have a lot of high hopes with this sort of the new trinity that is emerging. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's that's really the evolution. There are a bunch of other things that the government is trying to do on unified charging in uh, charging interface uh, for electric vehicles. There is also in fact, I think this week there is a launch for an open source uh, platform for education and skilling. Uh, I think it's called Onest. So, so again, so again, there is a lot happening. You will see some of these innovations scale up. Some of these may even scale down or die, but that's just a natural cycle that any innovation sort of follows. Yeah, and I think that's that's just that's an important point, right? And to me, I, I'm with you. The most exciting among them is how does the infrastructure built on UPI with account aggregators and open credit allow access to credit to grow, right? Because we know very much so from global research, information asymmetries increase the premium that then increases cost of credit and also puts a lot of people out of the uh, sort of umbrella of access to credit. And societies and economies cannot grow unless access to credit is, is solved for. Um, and in a large and complex country like India, where the old way of doing business, where traditional banks have for decades failed to solve that problem, technology and technology funded by the state is helping solve that problem. And I think if that scales the way, even half of the scale at, at which UPI is at right now, it's going to be transformative, right? Because at the individual business level, it will solve so many problems, uh, not only economically, I think we also forget over there that uh, because access to credit is such a problem for citizens across the subcontinent, they it doesn't mean they don't access credit. They do. They access credit through loan sharks and informal markets, which then has a human trauma uh, associated with it if you fail. We've seen in India and recently this week in Pakistan, a crackdown on loan shark apps um, that have been operating unregulated. And then people have been committing suicides uh, because of the harassment that comes with your failure to a, not fully understand what product you're being sold and B, when you are unable to pay the very high extractive rates of interest, usually, as you would call it in the old parlance, uh, people kill themselves because they're unable to pay. And I think that's, that's traumatic, that has impact on society. And so if a state can solve for that access to credit problem, it has a human impact as well. Um, so I'm excited as much as you are on, on that as well. Um, and hope that it scales. Um, on that note, Adnan, thank you so much uh, for taking out the time, joining us again on Pakistanomy. We'll keep following these developments and as things move forward on the other pieces of legislation and regulation you highlighted, we'll probably bother you again. But in the meantime, have a good rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you. This was a, This was really great.